days. Akiva Wienaker is my co-host, and I am, of course, Alexander Chester. Yesterday, we did the 23rd-ranked Chicago Bears, and we promised you that the Buffalo Bills were ranked 22, but we're going to skip the Bills today, and we're going to cover the 21st-ranked New Orleans Saints, and I'll briefly explain why. Uh, 32 fans in 32 days. We've promised you 32 podcasts in the 32 days before the NFL season covering the 32 teams. But as you've noticed, we don't put out podcasts on Saturday and Sunday because in the podcasting world, those are not days that people generally download and listen. And so instead, what we've done is we've put out double headers on Friday and Monday to cover the weekend. And so uh, if we were going based on our normal sequence, we'd have the Bills today, which is Thursday, and we'd have the Saints and Dolphins for a Friday double header. But we thought it made more sense to put the Bills and Dolphins together, uh, being that they're division rivals. They have more in common, let's say, than uh, the Saints and the Dolphins do. So that's why we're going to go with the Saints today. And then on Friday, we will give you the Bills and the Dolphins. And we might do the same thing next week. It remains to be determined. Uh, We have Detroit is 19, Carolina is 18, and Minnesota is 17. And so, of course, Detroit and Minnesota are division rivals. It might make sense to put them together more than Detroit and Carolina on the other hand, since I'm, of course, a Vikings fan, we may go long on the Vikings, and so maybe they deserve their own podcast. But we'll figure that out over the weekend, and you'll find out next week. But having said that, let's move forward with the 21st-ranked New Orleans Saints. And with Akiva and I is Andrew Juge of the Saints Nation blog. Andrew, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. As you heard, we ranked the New Orleans Saints 21st. The negative of that, of course, is that that's not particularly good. The positive is that in your division, that is pretty good. We have the Panthers just a couple spots ahead of you, but we've already gone through the Bucks and the Falcons. So this is a division that was bad last year, and Akiva and I don't have high hopes for anybody to break out this year. But tell us, do you think that 21st ranking fair for the Saints? Is it too low? Is it too high? Well, I think anytime you're kind of doing preseason rankings, uh, you don't really have much to base it on other than how the team did the previous year combined with off-season moves. And to the Saints, there's just so much uncertainty when you when you have such a tumultuous off-season that involved trades of key players, releases of veterans, and uh, acquisitions that were very that are very young. The number of trades they've made, and the number of draft picks they've made, there, there's just a lot of uncertainty, and there's no way of really knowing how quickly. Um, some of those acquisitions can acclimate to life in the NFL. So that's really the big question. So I, I think at this point, 21st is fair. Um, I think like any NFL team, it's going to depend on how some of these young players develop and how they how they perform. Um, I think anytime you have an elite quarterback, and I do believe Breeze is still capable of being that kind of quarterback, that's the X factor that can sometimes propel a team that's struggled or may not have assets roster-wise to compete with the best. That makes them a little bit more unpredictable. So that, that's the one caveat I would throw out there is that on any given Sunday, the Saints can go out there and if Breeze uh, is performing at an elite level, they can beat anyone. They showed that last year as, as poor as they were. Uh, they went into Pittsburgh and uh, destroyed the, the Steelers late in the season. Uh, they beat the Packers. We're one of the very few teams to show them up. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where I think um, if Breeze can put together a good season, and he's certainly capable of it, then then it's a team that could do well. As far as the division's concerned, it, it's tough. You know, it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, I've seen in my years of watching football so many teams rebound. I mean, I've seen the Colts rebound from a 1-15 team twice and, and make the playoffs in just one or two seasons with both Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck. There, there's just countless examples, teams that have gone from, you know, the Saints in, in 2005 were 3-13 and, and made the playoffs in the NFC Championship the following year. So, you know, there's a lot of parity and there's a lot of changes in the NFL that happen pretty quickly. And uh, not, not just the Saints, but I think the division in general 
Uh, there's been enough changes. You look at Atlanta with a head coaching change. Uh, you look at a new quarterback in Tampa. Obviously, a lot of changes for the Saints. And uh, so I, I think for the NFC South to replicate and be as weak as it was last season, uh, I wouldn't assume that's necessarily going to be the case. You guys lost five straight home games to end the season last year, most of them uh, in blowout fashion. Other than Breeze, what really scared you about last year's team? What went wrong? Well, yeah, losing at home was shocking. I mean, prior to that, I think Sean Payton, if you don't count Bounty Gate, obviously he wasn't the coach then. He had won like something like 18 games in a row at home. Uh, and, and getting it done on the road was really calling card of, of the media. It was kind of the refrain that they used uh, for, yep, Saints are a good team at home, but they can never do it on the road. And then inexplicably at the end of last year, you, you mentioned the five straight home losses, and then they won four in a row on the road, which which makes no sense. So they kind of flipped the script there. But I think what, what scared me the most is obviously the defense. Uh, ranked 31st overall, um, particularly the interior uh, their ability to stop the run, the tackling, um, and you know, you, there's that fine line when you watch a team struggle so much. Are they quitting? Um, is it a technique thing? Is it an effort thing? Has the have, has the coaching staff lost these players? The tackling, the ability to stop the run, and, and just in general, defensively getting gashed. Part of it was due to injuries, and they were significant. I think the Saints were down to their sixth and seventh safeties by the time the season ended, and, and that, that position in particular was decimated with injuries. But uh, I would say that was by far most concerning. Uh, on the offensive side of the ball, obviously Drew Brees trying to do too much. High volume of turnovers. If you look at him statistically in terms of efficiency and in terms of his rating, he's right up there with his career averages. He had a good season. Statistically, I think the one thing that he would like to have back is, is just the number of turnovers. Um, obviously, when your defense is that bad and you're coupling that with turnovers on top of it, your chances of winning are, are very slim. All right, so let's start on the offense. The biggest story on offense, obviously, uh, was the Jimmy Graham trade in the offseason. We'll get to that in a second. But let's start with Drew Brees. As you said correctly, when you have an elite quarterback, it can cover up a lot of ills. And Drew Brees certainly has been that for his entire tenure in New Orleans. But last year was the first time that it started to look like, you know, maybe he was, his age was really starting to affect him. His touchdowns have gone down four years in a row. His interceptions have gone up. You know, you mentioned the turnovers. I think his touchdown-interception ratio was below two for the only the second time uh, since 2007. Uh, his yards per attempt also was the lowest in five years. So is this a Drew Brees who's getting older and he's not going to make it back, or was this just a blip for a variety of reasons, and you know, and, and this year he can sort of get back to where he was in 2012 and 2013? Well, yeah, obviously we don't know for sure. Um, I, I think there's a few factors to consider. Um, I think on the plus side, the offensive line really struggled last year, and obviously when uh, you're, you don't protect Drew Brees, or any quarterback for that matter, it's going to make it more difficult for them to perform a quarter. So I think on the offensive side of the ball, you look at the Jimmy Graham trade specifically and having it return a center Max Unger, who the Saints view is one of the best centers in the game. And then, of course, uh, you know, at left tackle, Teron Armstead's a guy that's developing and the Saints really believe they have a future star. Uh, and he's a guy that's really performed really well and, and keeps getting better. So, and then the first round pick, Andres Pete, um, with with the, their their first pick is was another move to solidify that offensive line. So, I think the Saints feel a little bit better about some of the moves they've made up front. And Unger obviously is the biggest part of that uh, in an effort to kind of solidify what's in front of Breeze. And you have to remember about the Saints' offensive line. Unlike most offenses, they're kind of built from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. And the reason I say that is 
Uh, Drew Brees is a master of climbing in the pocket, and he, he can feel the rush better than almost any quarterback I've ever seen in my life of watching football. And, uh, you know, he's really relying on his footwork and his ability to climb in the pocket to make a throw. And so for Drew Brees, it's actually more, more critical than having a good tackle or a guy that blocks his blind spot. Uh, like I said, he feels that outside pressure. It's really you need good guys up front, a center and guards to keep a clean pocket for him to step into because that's where he really does the most damage against defenses. So, so I, that, that's a net positive. Uh, another thing is Breeze went into the season with an oblique injury, and a lot was being made out of his arm strength. If you guys know anything about that injury, it happens to a lot of pitchers in baseball, and it shuts them down for an extended period of time. You really just lose the power and the torque um, in your body. And with Breeze in particular, because he's more of a full-body th- technique thrower um, and less of just a pure arm strength guy, you know, an injury like that I think is going to affect him more than, let's say, a Cam Newton or a Ben Roethlisberger because, it's, because his mechanics are so critical to his success as opposed to pure arm strength. So, you know, I think getting over that injury, he, he looks very healthy in camp and I, I was fortunate to see the Saints at camp here in West Virginia where they practiced at the Greenbrier. And, um, you know, I saw Breeze throw long ball, short ball. I mean, he looks very strong throwing the football right now. So uh, I think any lingering effects of that oblique injury are obviously a thing of the past. And I think the hope is that that, that won't recreate itself. And so I, I think when you when you add all those things together, uh, at least for now, it has the recipe for Breeze kind of rebounding from what was – we won't say a bad season because I think statistically you kind of pointed at some, some things that are down, and I think you could just as easily point at his rating, his, his efficiency, his yardage, there was his completion percentage, uh, which was very high. Still very positive. I mean, if you compare him to other quarterbacks in the league, he was still very productive last year, uh, still a top-10 quarterback without question. I think the one drawback here, obviously, on, on the offensive side of the ball is who are going to be the playmakers. And so I think if you were going to flip the script here and, and argue the opposite point, Obviously, you lose Kenny Stills, who was a very productive player for the Saints last year. Jimmy Graham is gone. Pierre Thomas is a guy that's meant a lot to this offense. He's gone. And so now you look at the big question, which is what kind of role is C.J. Spiller going to play in this offense? Can he really pick up the slack for some of some of the players lost that the Saints have? What weapons does Drew Brees have uh, to be able to kind of replicate some of these best seasons he's had? So. That's the question, uh, but, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah, going around the offense, I mean, two years ago, you'd probably say the two guys that scare you the most, obviously Jimmy Graham, and, you know, Darren Sproles was pretty scary, too, although he's getting a little older now, and he's been off the team for two years. There really isn't that guy. Yeah, You know, you're scared of Breeze, but Brandon Cooks was really good until he got hurt last year. I mean, they, you didn't really replace Graham with anybody. Colston's getting old. Uh, Nick Toon, uh, even though his dad is my favorite player of all time, <laughs> uh, really hasn't shown anything yet. Is there a guy on the team you think could break out? Where's the production going to come from? Because even if Breeze is 100% healthy, like this could be the least impressive set of weapons he's ever had around him, right? Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, and, and it is concerning. I mean, obviously, Colston is a guy that's always been very steady and, and very productive in this offense, but he's getting a, long, a little long in the tooth himself. Um, and it's a legitimate question. I think their stable of running backs is as good as, as it's ever been. You know, Mark Ingram is coming off his best season as a pro, went to the Pro Bowl 
Um, had a very good year last year. Kyrie Robinson, of course, is a very capable backup. And then C.J. Spiller. And Spiller's really kind of the the cog that I think um, you know, he, he needs to be excellent. He, he needs to have a huge season, I think, for this offense to not miss a beat. Uh, yeah, he's really he, – Spiller, as a, as a Jets fan who's seen Spiller a lot of times – on his absolute best day, he's frightening, Spiller. Yeah, he is. And, and I think the, the, the thought process here is that he's finally in an offense with Sean Payton, a creative genius, that's going to be able to put him in a position to play to his strengths and finally maximize his efficiency, whereas he was kind of stuck in an offense in Buffalo where you know, obviously he had some big games and he had some productive seasons, but it maybe wasn't an offense that was tailor-made for him to explode onto the scene like we've seen Reggie Bush or Darren Sproles already do in the Saints offense. Um, so, you know, obviously Spiller, Spiller's a big part of this. Um, you know, Brandon Cooks obviously is the one player also that I think the Saints are really counting on to develop into a superstar explosive receiver. In my opinion, you know, health is the main thing, but otherwise there's no reason why Cooks can't be, you know, Deshaun Jackson at his best, uh, minus the off the field stuff. And and I think, uh, you know, there, there's no reason why based on his talent, based on his skill set, based on the quarterback that he has playing with him, uh, that he can't have that type of season. So, you know, Colston is still a guy you count on as well. Um, you know, one more name I will throw out there is a receiver by the name of Brandon Coleman. He was an undrafted rookie last year, but uh, he he's six six. He runs a four five forty, um, and he played at Rutgers. And obviously, the Saints were very fortunate to get him as an undrafted free agent. He was kind of viewed as the best undrafted guy last season. Uh, spent the year on the practice squad. Was a late season call up, and the Saints kind of spent the year redshirting him, so to speak, and developing him. Um, and he's had an excellent camp, uh, and I think the Saints really feel like he could develop into a player that helps them. Uh, I think it's very. I, I think his role in the team is actually pretty significant when you look at his size, his wingspan, and his ability uh, to high point the ball and, and, and get one-on-one matchups and win those in the red zone. Uh, because if you look at the departure of Jimmy Graham, what they need to replace most is not the ability to move the football between the 20s. It's really the production when you get down in the red zone. And uh, Coleman is that guy. He's that body. He's that size. He, he's got the ability to produce in the red zone like Graham used to. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize this. The Saints' offense was number one in the NFL in 2006 and in 2009 when the Saints won the Super Bowl without Jimmy Graham. So this offense has been very productive with Drew Brees as a quarterback well before Jimmy Graham was a part of this team. And so uh, they don't rely just on him. It's more about the system. It's more about the quarterback. Um, and I think that's what Sean Payton believes, is that they'll be able to continue being successful. You're looking at an offense that since 2006 has been t- a top three offense in the NFL every year. And uh, I believe number one in every year, every year except for three, three of those years since 2006. Yeah, and, and ultimately, as you said, this was the number one offense in the league last year. And their running game was the best it's been in a long time. And now... Mm-hmm. If they've upgraded the interior of the offensive line with a healthy younger, and, and maybe uh, if uh, if Pete starts in place of, of Ben Grubbs, I think he, both him and Jari Evans struggled a little bit last year. And then, of course, you had C.J. Spiller. I don't think the issue is going to be in the offense. I think the issue with this team is the defense. In, in 2013, in Rob Ryan's debut, coming off being the worst defense in the NFL, they were fourth. And I think that was the biggest reason, obviously the return of Sean Payton, how they turned it around and went from 7-9 and nine back to uh, what we expect from the Saints with Drew Brees 11-5. and five. Last year they dropped all the way to 31st again, and, and Rob Ryan's defense looked to be in disarray. 
They they drafted mm-hmm. heavily on the defensive side. I think six of their eight picks were on defense. But at the same time, their best defensive player was Junior Gallette, and he's gone. And, and not only gone, but I think he napalmed every bridge in Louisiana on his way out of town. <laughs> so I, obviously it's hard to predict what's going to happen with, with, a, with a whole bevy of rookies and, and, and who knows what kind of role each of them is going to have. But is this a defense that can improve not just from 31st, there's, you know, you have to go up. But is this a defense that can improve enough to make this team a serious contender as opposed to just, let's say, an NFC South contender? Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. That That's really the ultimate question. And uh, I think, first of all, uh, on the back end, uh, I think the Saints really struggled in coverage, especially at number two corner uh, last season. And that was really uh, the Achilles heel of the team. Uh, you know, obviously Keenan Lewis is a premier cover guy, very solid starting cornerback. Uh, but then whoever they threw out there and there was three, four different starters at different points in the season that they put out there on the other side of Keenan Lewis and, and none of them could get the job done. And, uh, it, it's it simplified, uh, the offensive game plan for a lot of teams. Anytime they drop back to pass, uh, they knew where the ball was going and it was the other side of the field from Keenan Lewis and their passing had a lot of success that way. And so I think the Saints did a good job of shoring up, obviously the big offseason acquisition of Brandon Browner on the other side. Uh, gives them a solid veteran corner that has produced in the NFL, um, and certainly while he kind of has, he's known for his his uh, physical play, which can sometimes draw penalties. Um, I think most fans in New Orleans will take that over the the alternative, which is what we were watching a year ago. Uh, Delvin Bro has been the best cornerback in Canada um, for years now in, in the CFL, and the Saints picked him up. He has looked incredible in camp. Um, and in fact, some people have said he's been so good, uh, they wonder if he could possibly start over Browner. But all of a sudden, you've got three corners, and on top of that, uh, a second-round pick from a year ago, uh, Stanley Jean-Baptiste, that's starting to come around. Um, so cor- the cornerback situation is looking a lot better and a lot more solid. Uh, obviously, Kenny Vaccaro was banged up last year, and Jarris Bird was out for the year with a knee injury. Um, he'll hopefully be back this year, and so... And, and Raphael Bush, who I view as one of the best backup safeties in the league, uh, he broke his leg, so they lost him as well. And uh, their other backup, Vinny Sinceri, broke his forearm, and he was out. So they, they've got four safeties uh, that were injured last year that are coming back, uh, productive NFL players that have done it before. I think the back end will be okay. Uh, for, for the Saints, really, defensively, uh, it's the defensive line that's the big question mark. And uh, obviously, you mentioned Gallette losing him and his sack production. Uh, it's going to be tough to replace that. And so if there's a big question mark for me, it's ha- have the Saints done enough on the defensive line? Uh, their linebacking core is going to be completely new, completely different. Uh, there's going to be a lot of youth there. Uh, and one guy in particular that's already been the starter in camp and in practices is uh, the rookie out of Clemson, Stephon Anthony. Uh, he's already the number one wearing the helmet set, making the calls. They're very impressed with him, very excited about him. And so he's kind of a rookie to watch this year. Junior Gallette said a lot of things on his way out of town, or, or somebody did, uh, right. under his wife's Twitter account. Are any of those things going to cause any long-term effects in the locker room or, or, or even in the community with, with the rumors and the allegations that he made, not just about the players, but about you know Sean Payton and a, a host of other issues? Or is that just sort of water under the bridge? He's out of town and we're not thinking about it anymore. 
You know, I mean, it, it's caught a little bit of, of um, wind, and I mean, it, it's 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 made its rounds in, in like the SB Nation circles, and you know, all, all these different. It's made its rounds on Twitter a little bit and Deadspin, but it hasn't really become news because Galette's denied it. There's no real way to prove that this was his girlfriend's account. Um, you know, that's the rumor. Um, there were things that the account said that lead you to believe that it has to be someone in the know. Um, but it could just as easily be a fabrication. So there's no tangible evidence. Um, so the local media, the national media, legits have not have, have shied away from running with this story or, or, or really making it a bigger deal than it was. And so I think while people that pay close attention to the Saints um, or you know are kind of in our circle, I'll say uh, the average NFL fan, the average Saints fan doesn't know much about this stuff. And so I I really don't think it's an issue um, as far as Galette's being gone. Uh, I have to say, from a maturity standpoint, you know, it's funny. He, he was elected as a team captain, which, you know, obviously when you think that, you think how, how could he possibly have gotten that? Uh, unfortunately for the Saints, he kind of came at – his captaincy came at a very vulnerable time when they had lost Jonathan Vilma, they had lost Jabari Greer, uh, they had lost Malcolm Jenkins, Roman Harper. Uh, there were tons of leaders and captains on that defense that were gone in the same offseason. So Gallette was kind of – the uh, an ascending player that uh, in, around a lot of youth and uh, a lot of these young players didn't know any better and so they elected him as captain and uh, you know obviously from from a character standpoint uh, that was a disaster and and Gillette obviously was not fit not not a good good fit for for that and um, I think uh, in the locker room it caused a lot of problems uh, so much so that any production that he had on the field um, was kind of outweighed. And uh, now that you look at uh, him being gone, I think um, replacing him on the field will be difficult. Uh, but inside the locker room, the harmony, the uh, the character and all that stuff, that's going to be a huge positive. So if anything, I think him being gone is going to be way more of a benefit than any um, negative from his parting shots. Let's turn to the schedule now. You mentioned the fact this is a team that was undefeated at home in 2013. And last year, they went just 3-5. and five. One thing when we spoke to Gavin Apier uh, from the Atlanta Falcons, one thing that he really hung his hat on is the fact that they have the easiest schedule in the league this year. And the Saints' schedule isn't as easy as the Falcons' schedule is, but you know you still get uh, six games against a, a relatively weak division, and mm-hmm. you're also playing the, the AFC South, which is probably the worst division in the AFC, and you're facing the NFC East, which is a lot better than facing the NFC North. So it's definitely a schedule that, you know, if, if the Saints' defense is improved and if they cut down on the turnovers, this is a team that should be able to, to get back into the winning ledger. But let's go through week by week, and, and we'll see what your uh, perspective is. So week one, they start on the road against the Cardinals. Yeah, that, that's going to be an interesting one, obviously, starting on the road. And like I said, believe it or not, it's hard to believe, but they, the Saints do are, are riding a four-game win streak on the road currently. And, uh, so, and, and you know, you'll look date back to the previous season uh, when they won their first road playoff game in franchise history in Philadelphia. Um, so they, they've had some recent success on the road. So Arizona's going to be interesting. You know, obviously the Carson Palmer X factor with him coming back from a major injury. Is he going to be ready in time to be the starter week one? I, I think they expect that he will be. You know, the Cardinals are, are were an incredible team, one of the best in the NFC last year with Carson Palmer. Um, without him, uh, they were very pedestrian. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup goes. I think I tend to think the Cardinals are at a better place than the Saints now, and obviously playing at home, uh, I would expect the Saints to lose that game. But I, again, I think 
Carson Palmer's health is a big X factor there. All right, then you come back home, and as I said last year at home against Tampa, it took overtime and a little bit of luck to uh, beat the two and fourteen Bucks. Welcoming Jameis Winston to New Orleans, what happens? Yeah, the Bucks had a couple good games against Breeze last year. Uh, Breeze really struggled with their defensive game plan, and um, they had a lot of success. So I think the Saints are going to have to mix it up offensively. But I don't really see Jameis Winston uh, bursting onto the scene and having a lot of success early. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of a learning experience for him. And so I, I, I see the Saints winning that game at home against Tampa. Okay, and then in week three, they go on the road to Carolina, who is probably their biggest rival in the division this year in terms of winning the division title. Yeah, we'll see. Um, it, it still amazes me as bad as Carolina was last year early in the season, really up until mid the midway point or even past that, uh, that they found a way to make the playoffs. Uh, I, I find that shocking, but that's just a tribute to – how bad the NFC South really was last year. I still feel like the Panthers are kind of an enigma to me. I mean, obviously, Luke Keekley, in my opinion, is, is probably now the best player in the, in the division. I would have said that was Breeze until last year. Um, but uh, I really feel like Keekley is, is the guy uh, in the NFC South that I would list number one. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just think Cam Newton is so inconsistent. Um, and his ac- he struggles with his accuracy, and when he gets hot, he's he's dangerous. Um, but I, I, his ability to play at that level consistently um, just hasn't existed his entire time in the NFL, really. Um, and so uh, it puts a lot of pressure on, on that defense uh, to stay very solid and stay very steady, and, and we saw, kind of saw some chinks in the armor with that defense last year at times. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I think uh, the Panthers are still a good matchup for the Saints. Um, and if you remember, obviously there there was a tough loss there. But the Saints, besides that tough loss at the end of the season, uh, if you look back to Rob Ryan, Rob Ryan has been extremely successful against Cam Newton the last two years. Um, and you know, obviously uh, defensively, I think that that's one guy that they always do well against. I think it's going to be a win. I think the Saints pull that one out. All right, so you go to 2-1, two, two and one, then you come home, Sunday night football against the Cowboys. Outside the division, I've always assumed for geographical reasons that the Cowboys and Saints would probably have a good rivalry, and I know they've had a couple of really good games uh, at night in the last few years. What do you see happening this, this year at night when the Cowboys I, I I think that might be a little bit of a one-sided rivalry with the Saints hitting the Cowboys. I, I don't know if it's reciprocal. Uh, but um, all, all I can tell you just from a region regionality perspective is that growing up for me as a kid, I was born in 1980, a lot, you know, obviously the Cowboys when I was a teenager were starting to win a lot of Super Bowls. And uh, so a lot of people in New Orleans rooted for the Cowboys. I mean, anytime you start winning, you become an international brand and you have fans everywhere. And, and, and the Cowboys had lots of fans in New Orleans. And that made the locals that were Saints supporters very bitter. Um, and so that's always a, and obviously then Katrina, a lot of people moved to Dallas and then, you know, there's obviously Saints fans in Dallas now. So that, that's kind of added a little something to the, uh, to the rivalry as well. But that's going to be an interesting game. I think, um, the Cowboys without DeMarco Murray changes that team significantly. And it's going to be very interesting to see if Romo can kind of duplicate uh, the kind of season he had last year without that production in the backfield. I am going to go with the dark horse prediction, and, and I'm going to say upset here. Um, I, I think that's, a, you know, Rob Ryan against his former club, and, you know, the Saints won a big blowout game in 2013, and then there was a big blowout game last year for the Cowboys, and it's kind of gone back and forth. Um, so I expect a closer game maybe this time, but I'm going to pick the Saints in that one. 
All right, so this is really the hardest part of their schedule, October. They're 3-1. and one. Now they go on the road to Philadelphia. Yeah, I think Philadelphia, you know, obviously with Nick Foles gone, Sam Bradford as the quarterback, that's the one guy that um, is the big question mark for, for that team. But, uh, you know, Sproles obviously has a bone to pick with the Saints. And uh, I think uh, that, that, that seems to never bode well for the Saints when they get rid of a player that's doing well elsewhere. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins plays for the Eagles as well, and I'm sure he'll have a bone to pick as well. Uh, I'm sure the Eagles will r- remember very vividly uh, losing to the Saints in the playoffs a couple years ago at home. Uh, so, yeah, I-, I would say the Eagles win that one. All right, you're still 3-2. and two. You come home to face Atlanta on short rest on Thursday night. Do you guys realize that the Saints had a losing record last year, and they have three home night games? Somebody in the league loves the Saints. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, well... I think more so than someone in the league loves the Saints, it's I think it's the media that loves to go to New Orleans, loves an opportunity. <laughs> so I, I think they lobby for that pretty hard. Yeah, that's why uh, they always have the Super Bowls there, I guess. That's right, that's right. Um, you know, I think uh, the Saints are going to be up for Atlanta. I mean, both teams are always, every time they play, are, are very geared up for that one. The Saints <laughs> and Falcons have a long, heated rivalry. Those two used to be in the NFC West together with the 49ers and, and the Rams. When, when they would finish dead last in the division, it was kind of, you know, the, the one thing that you could root for during the season when both teams were terrible and they never had a, a shot at making the playoffs was uh, which team would, would, would win the series or maybe sweep the series. So, uh, you know, the Falcons-Saints rivalry, in my opinion, is one of the most underrated rivalries in sports. I mean, obviously the, this, the NFL rivalries, the longtime legendary rivalries that we all know about um, are, are the big ones and, and they're talked about because they deserve to be talked about. Uh, but Saints Falcons is a rivalry that um, you know is is very underrated. Um, but uh, Atlanta's a big enigma to me. I mean, obviously the Saints as bad as they were defensively, and we talked about that. Uh, the Falcons were 32nd, so they were even worse. Um, but uh, the Falcons have won the last two games, and so I think the Saints are going to take that one very seriously. So I'll I'll give that that one to the Saints. They, yeah. they take that. And our, our Falcons fan said that a two and fourteen season is fine for the Falcons as long as those two wins come against New Orleans. And yeah, last feelings feelings mutual. Well, last year the last year they got you both times, but if you beat them at home, you go to four and two, probably on top of the division. Although it doesn't get much easier. This is probably the hardest game you have left on your schedule. You have to go. At Indianapolis. Yeah, that's a loss. All right. So I don't really feel like I need to explain that. Yeah, that's that's fine. That could be a real fun game, honestly. New Orleans. Yeah, it could. It could. They really can't stop anybody. So you're four and three. You come back home to face Eli and the Giants. Uh, I'm going to say the Giants win that game. I think um, Eli's had a little bit of a resurgence here with Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, Tom Coughlin's a great coach. Um, So. That one could go either way. I think Sean Payton has had some success against the Giants in the past, but I'll pick the Giants in that one. All right, so now you're 4-4, four and four, but the schedule really eases up a lot. Uh, in Week 9, you've, you've already hosted Jameis Winston. Now you get a chance if he's playing, which probably he will. You get a chance to host Marcus Mariota and the Titans. I will be uh, sorely disappointed if the Saints find a way to botch that one. I mean, that, that's a must-win game on the schedule. Yep. All right. And then five and four. In the last game before the bye, you go on the road to Washington. That that's a pick'em game, honestly. Um, I, I really don't know what to expect from the Redskins this year. Um, anytime you go on the road, um, but I, I feel like that's a trap game. I mean, I could easily see the Saints being five and four, going into three and six Washington, 
most most people would pick the Saints to win and expect them to win, and and uh, you know obviously the Redskins m- might sneak that one out. So then after the bye, you guys go to Houston, which seems like a good matchup for you guys because you know Breeze gets rid of the ball quickly and you have a good offensive line, so maybe that neutralizes Watt a little bit. And they're not the type of team, especially with their horrible quarterback situation right now. That would get, you know, you'd expect to get into a shootout with you guys. What do you think about the game in Houston? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Arian Foster is kind of the big question mark there. I think the Saints are still weak uh, up front, and uh, if, if Arian Foster's healthy and he's running the ball well, um, that could be uh, the big matchup in favor of the Texans. But I'm going to say the Saints kind of rebound from a disheartening loss to the Redskins and, and win in Houston. So then you guys host the Panthers. Going for the season sweep. Yeah, no, I'm going to say the Panthers get the Saints back in that one. Oh, boy. And then you go to Tampa Bay. I'm going to say that's a win. Seven and six. You're right there in the thick of things. <laughs> you, you got a big Monday night game, the seven and six Saints, the seven and six Lions. Yeah, boy, that's a tough one. You know, Megatron's going to be out for this game. He's he's going to be injured by then. <laughs> um, I, lo- I love the specific predictions. <laughs> I'm going to say Saints. All right, so you guys go to eight and six, and then you have like a trap game. Where you host the Jaguars? Saints are going to win that. This have year. you clinched the nine and six? I'm going to say that there's another team out there at eight, it's eight and seven floating around. But is it Atlanta or Carolina or Tampa? Uh, definitely not Tampa. Uh, I'm going to say it's Atlanta. All right, so then you guys, so maybe this game gets moved to the the big uh, Sunday night game, last game of the season. New Orleans yes. at Atlanta. That would be a very uh, hostile environment. That would be. Um, although, do you really think Atlanta's good enough to be an eight and seven, though? I mean, again, you go back to the schedule. I mean, they certainly their schedule is weak enough that they could put together. But some it was wins. last year, and they stunk. Well, Akiva, I'll, I'll remind you that Gavin, our, our Falcons fan, he has the Falcons at eight and seven at this point, also mm-hmm. going into Week Seventeen. And and you remember? Well, yeah, but what, he would have had the Saints at zero and fifteen, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> well, yeah. To be fair, I think that he 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 does predict the Falcons to win that Week Seventeen game to uh, get into the playoffs, but he has them getting in over Carolina, not New Orleans. So it's more exciting uh, the way that we're looking at it now because now we have nine and six New Orleans going to an eight and seven Atlanta. You guys could tie and get in. For, for, for argument's sake, we're going to say that the winner wins the division. Uh, no, I will go with the tie there. A tie? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wait, I like, like that. A fourth tie prediction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's not... <laughs> wait, hold on, Akiva. We need a real winner pick. Yeah. Akiva, the Dolphins are going to be released the next day, so this is going to be the first tie we've actually had. <laughs> oh, well, listen. People people know about the magic of podcasting. Yeah. Wait, so so you're, you're 9-6. and six, You tie Atlanta... Keep in mind, Atlanta needs a win to make the playoffs. So by the end of overtime, they're not playing for a tie. They're going all out. They're blitzing 11 guys at Breeze. But uh, you, you guys managed to uh, you know play keep away, as it were, and uh, hold on to the tie to win the division at 9-6. Well, I think the Saints know all they need is a tie. So you know they have first and 10 at the Atlanta 17, and they just kneel four times and all take right. the tie. All right, so, so, so there you go. Uh, the 9-6-1 New Orleans Saints will get back into the playoffs. They won't sweep the Falcons, but they won't lose to the Falcons this year, so that, that'll be an, an extra feather in your cap. Thanks again, Andrew Juge, for joining us from, from Saints Nation Blog. Uh, you guys are on Twitter at, at Saints Nation BLG. That's Saints Nation Blog without the O. Is that correct? That's correct, yep. Okay, and as we said at the top, tomorrow we will be back with a special AFC East doubleheader. We'll cover both the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins. Have a good night. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.